Section 32 of Character. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Character by Samuel Smiles. Chapter 6, Part C. Manner, Art. The average Frenchman or Irishman excels the average Englishman, German, or American in courtesy and ease of manner simply because it is his nature. They are more social and less self-dependent than men of Teutonic origin, more demonstrative and less reticent. They are more communicative, conversational, and freer in their intercourse with each other in all respects, whilst men of German race are comparatively stiff, reserved, shy, and awkward. At the same time, a people may exhibit ease, gaiety, and sprightliness of character, and yet possess no deeper qualities calculated to inspire respect. They may have every grace of manner, and yet be heartless, frivolous, selfish. The character may be on the surface only, and without any solid qualities for a foundation. There can be no doubt as to which of the two sorts of people, the easy and graceful, or the stiff and awkward, is the most agreeable to meet, either in business, in society, or in the casual intercourse of life, which make the fastest friends, the truest men of their word, and most conscientious performers of their duty, is an entirely different matter. The dry, gauche Englishman, to use the French phrase, l'anglais impeter, is certainly a somewhat disagreeable person to meet at first. He looks as if he'd swallowed a poker, he is shy himself, and the cause of shyness in others. He is stiff, not because he is proud, but because he is shy, and he cannot shake it off, even if he would. Indeed, we should not be surprised to find that even the clever writer who describes the English Philistine in all his enormity of awkward manner and absence of grace were himself as shy as a bat. When two shy men meet, they seem like a couple of icicles. They sidle away and turn their backs on each other in a room, or, when traveling, creep into opposite corners of a railway carriage. When shy Englishmen are about to start a journey by railway, they walk along the train to discover an empty compartment in which to bestow themselves. And when once ensconced, they inwardly hate the next man who comes in. So, on entering the dining room of their club, each shy man looks out for an unoccupied table until sometimes all the tables in the room are occupied by single diners. All this apparent unsociableness is merely shyness, the national characteristic of the Englishman. Quote, the disciples of Confucius, observed Mr. Arthur Helps, say that when in the presence of the prince, his manner displayed respectful uneasiness. There could hardly be given any two words which were more fitly describe the manner of most Englishmen when in society. Perhaps it is due to this feeling that Sir Henry Taylor, in his Statesman, recommends that, in the management of interviews, the minister should be as quote, near to the door end quote, as possible, and instead of bowing his visitor out, that he should take refuge at the end of an interview in the adjoining room. Quote, Timid and embarrassed men, he says, will sit as if they were rooted to the spot, when they are conscious that they will have to traverse the length of a room in their retreat. In every case, 
an interview will find a more easy and pleasing termination when the door is at hand, as the last words are spoken. End quote. The late Prince Albert, one of the gentlest and most amiable, was also one of the most retiring of men. He struggled much against his sense of shyness, but was never able to either conquer or conceal it. His biographer, in explaining its causes, says, quote, It was the shyness of a very delicate nature that is not sure it will please and is without the confidence and the vanity which often go to form characters that are outwardly more genial. End quote. But the prince shared this defect with some of the greatest of Englishmen. Sir Isaac Newton was probably the shyest man of his age. He kept secret for a time some of his greatest discoveries for fear of the notoriety they might bring him. His discovery of the binomial theorem and its most important applications, as well as his still greater discovery of the law of gravitation, were not published for years after they were made and when he communicated to Collins his solution of the theory of the moon's rotation around the earth, he forbade him to insert his name in connection with it in the philosophical transactions, saying, It would perhaps increase my acquaintance, the thing which I chiefly study to decline. From all that can be learned of Shakespeare, it is to be inferred that he was an exceedingly shy man. The manner in which his plays were sent into the world for it is not known that he edited or authorized the publication of a single one of them, and the dates at which they respectively appeared are mere matters of conjecture. His appearance in his own plays in second and even third-rate parts, his indifference to reputation, and even his apparent aversion to be held in repute by his contemporaries, his disappearance from London, bracket, the seat and center of English histrionic art, in bracket, so soon as he had realized a moderate competency, and his retirement about the age of forty for the remainder of his days to a life of obscurity in a small town in the Midland counties, all seemed to unite in proving the shrinking nature of the man and his unconquerable shyness. It is also probable that, besides being shy, and his shyness may, like that of Byron, have been increased by his limp, Shakespeare did not possess in any high degree the gift of hope. It is a remarkable circumstance that whilst the great dramatist has, in the course of his writings, copiously illustrated all other gifts, affections, and virtues, the passages are very rare in which hope is mentioned, and then it is usually in desponding and despairing tone as when he says, The miserable hath no other medicine but only hope. Many of his sonnets breathe the spirit of despair and hopelessness. He laments his lameness, apologizes for his profession as an actor, expresses his fear of trust in himself and his hopeless, perhaps misplaced affection, anticipates a coffined doom, and utters his profoundly pathetic cry for restful death. It might naturally be supposed that Shakespeare's profession of an actor and his repeated appearances in public would speedily overcome his shyness, did such exist. But inborn shyness, when strong, is not so easily conquered. Who would have believed that the late Charles Matthews, who entertained crowded houses night after night, was naturally one of the shyest of men? 
he would even make long circuits bracket, layman though he was and bracket, along the by-lanes of london to avoid recognition his wife says of him that he looked sheepish and confused if recognized and that his eyes would fall that his collar would mount if he heard his name even whispered in passing along the streets nor would it at first sight have been supposed that lord byron was affected with shyness and yet he was a victim to it his biographer relating that while on a visit to mrs pigott in southwell when he saw strangers approaching he would instantly jump out of the window and escape onto the lawn to avoid them but a still more recent and striking instance is that of the late archbishop whateley who in the early part of his life was painfully oppressed by the sense of shyness when at oxford his white rough coat and white hat obtained for him the sobriquet of the white bear and his manners according to his own account of himself corresponded with the appellation he was directed by way of remedy to copy the example of the best-mannered men he met in society but the attempt to do this only increased his shyness and he failed he found that he was all the while thinking of himself rather than of others whereas thinking of others rather than oneself is of the true essence of politeness finding he was making no progress whately was driven to utter despair and then he said to himself why should i endure this torture all my life to no purpose i would bear it still if there was any success to be hoped for but since there is not i will die quietly without taking any more doses i have tried my very utmost and i find that i must be as awkward as a bear all my life in spite of it i will endeavour to think as little about it as a bear and make up my mind to endure what can't be cured from this time forth he struggled to shake off all consciousness to manner and to disregard censure as much as possible in adopting this course he says quote, i succeeded beyond my expectations for i not only got rid of my personal sufferings of shyness but also of most of the faults of manner which consciousness produces and acquired at once an easy and natural manner careless indeed in the extreme from its originating in a stern defiance of opinion which i had convinced myself must be ever against me rough and awkward for smoothness and grace are quite out of my way and of course tutorially pedantic but unconscious and therefore giving expression to that good will towards men which i really feel and these i believe are the main points End quote. washington who was an englishman in his lineage was also one in his shyness he is described incidentally by mr josiah quincy as quote, a little stiff in his person not a little formal in his manner and not particularly at ease in the presence of strangers he had the air of country gentlemen not accustomed to mix much in society perfectly polite but not easy in his address and conversation and not graceful in his movements although we are not accustomed to think of modern americans as shy the most distinguished american author of our time was probably the shyest of men nathaniel hawthorne was shy to the extent of morbidity we have observed him when a stranger entered the room where he was 
turn his back for the purpose of avoiding recognition and yet when the crust of his shyness was broken no man could be more cordial and genial than hawthorne we observe a remark in one of hawthorne's lately published notebooks that on one occasion he met mr helps in society and found him cold and doubtless mr helps thought the same of him it was only the case of two shy men meeting each thinking the other stiff and reserved and parting before their mutual film of shyness had been removed by little friendly intercourse before pronouncing a hasty judgment in such cases it would be well to bear in mind the motto of elevatius when bentham also proved such a real treasure for him we have thus far spoken of shyness as a defect but there is another way of looking at it for even shyness has its bright side and contains an element of good shy men and shy races are ungraceful and undemonstrative because as regards society at large they are comparatively unsociable they do not possess those elegances of manner acquired by free intercourse which distinguish the social races because their tendency is to shun society rather than to seek it they are shy in the presence of strangers and shy even in their own families they hide their affections under a robe of reserve and when they do give way to their feelings it is only in some very hidden inner chamber and yet the feelings are there and not the less healthy and genuine that they are not made the subject of exhibition to others End of section 32